Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Securing Bridges podcast. You're about to join Alyssa Miller as she sits down with senior and executive security leaders to share stories of success and failure while working across business teams. It's time to build and secure the bridge to the business. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. All right, Securing Bridges fans, we are back once again. We have another awesome episode lined up for you. Took the week off last week. You know, it was hacker summer camp, so I was out in Vegas hanging with all the folks. Thankfully came back, tested COVID negative. I'm super happy about that because unfortunately I'm seeing that maybe others weren't so fortunate. So, but we did, hopefully everybody survived. Um, crazy weather, <laughs> airport craziness. That was an interesting week, but here we are. We're back with Securing Bridges once again. Amazing guests every week and this week is no different. And I I think I use that line every week. So that's no different either. But, you know, that's what we do. Um, But no, I really, I'm I'm super excited. This is one that I'd been meaning to line up for a while. And it it took me a while to to reach out to him. But I am really thrilled to say that this week with us here on Securing Bridges, it's Larry Whiteside. Hey, Larry, how are you? Hey, I'm great, Alyssa. I really appreciate you reaching out. I'm excited to have a conversation today. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I'm I'm super excited to have you on. It's you know I've been following you. I think we've been connected on LinkedIn for a while and whatnot. But uh, your name seems to pop up all over the place in my circles, and and it's wonderful. So, um, but in case your name doesn't pop up in everybody's circles, can you go ahead and just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so uh, I'm a security executive. I mean, I, I'm right now I'm chief security officer of a, a big healthcare company. Uh, but I've been in this field for a long time. But the thing that most people tend to associate me with is I'm a co-founder and I'm the current president of an organization called Cyversity, formerly ICMCP, and we're, we're geared at increasing diversity in the field of cybersecurity. That's awesome. You've already touched on a topic near and dear to my heart. So why don't we... Send- why don't we dig into it a little bit? Um, so, I mean, tell me a little bit more about the work that you guys are doing at Cyversity. Obviously, the, the name seems fitting, um, right. but I'd, I'd love to hear more about what, how you guys are getting involved and, and what parts of the industry you're really focusing on. Yeah, so, so it's interesting. So first, I'd like to give a little bit about the name because people, they hear Cyversity and early on people are like, so are you a university? And they're like, no. No, no, no. We're not a we're not an <laughs> educational institution, right? Uh, or institution of higher learning, or whatever you want to call it. The name came from I say cy- cybersecurity and diversity had a baby, and they created cy- the name cybersecurity, right? So, but um, from a, what we're doing standpoint, right? What what we've decided to do is create programmatic a programmatic way for people to go from where they're at to where they want to be, right? And so. Our goal is to not just increase the number of diverse people, right? And that's that's minorities, right? Underserved communities, people coming from underserved communities, women, and the LGBTQ plus community, right? We, we, we don't narrow our focus. We want all aspects of diversity to be able to get into this field. But we want them to basically get from where they're at to where they want to be. 
And that comes through a number of different mechanisms, right? And so a lot of that is about assessing their skills of where they are today. Because, you know, a lot of people think that this field is just technical. Oh, I can't go into cybersecurity. I'm not really a technical person. I'm like, well, that's not necessarily the case, right? So we like to dispel a lot of the misnomers associated with what the field is and give people an understanding of how broad it is. So then when you go to assess your skills and you've seen how broad it is, you can see where your skills best align. And you can try and, based on the breadth of the industry, try and align your skills to something you're passionate about, right? Because some people like law. You can be in cybersecurity if you like law, right? Uh, some people like regulation. Some people like, there's a, so many different things outside the technical scope that people yeah. could dive into. And so that's the beginning stages of what we want to do. Uh, after that, once you've identified those things, we want to then get you skilled, right? If you're mm -hmm. a middle and, and skills really mean very different things to everybody who comes to us, right? Skills can be, I want to be technical. I need some keyboard skills, and we have partners that will help you there. Skills can be, hey, I'm a mid-level manager. I want to be a CISO. We've got partners who can help you there. So depending on where you're at, our goal is to help you through this next stage of what you need to do to get the skills, right, um, that you need to achieve that next stage of where you're trying to go. Now, once you've gotten those skills and you've gone through with one of our training partners to achieve uh, more skills and, and be better at what you're trying to do, our next goal is to get you prepared for your next role. So that can be resume prepping, right? Resume writing, interview prep, because uh, <laughs> interviewing is hard. Um, uh, and, and honestly, it takes sometimes it takes practice. Not everybody is good at interviewing and you can win or lose a job just based on a poor interview, regardless of how good you look on paper, right? And so going through having your resume done properly, having the right interview skills so that when you do have the interview, you've gone through and you're a lot more comfortable. I, I was honestly shocked uh, when we started the whole interview prep and how many people literally have stage fright when it comes to interviewing. Like they literally have no idea how to answer some of the most basic questions because they just freeze up. And so it's been very powerful to help people go through that. And then the last piece, uh, well, I shouldn't say the last piece. Then we have job placement. So we've created a job portal where we post a number <laughs> of jobs. And the important piece about this job portal is it's been proven statistically that women and, and under, people coming from underserved communities will not apply to roles to which they do not align nearly 100% because they feel they won't have a chance at the job if they don't completely align to the role. Right. And so for us, one of the things that creating the job portal has done and that we try and message is that, hey, for people, for, for organizations that are putting jobs into our job portal, they are specifically looking for diverse candidates. So the misnomer uh, or remove the thought that you have to align 100 percent, because in many cases, these jobs are willing to train you. In many cases, right, they're willing because each of these organizations is taking the purposeful step to actually come to us as a source for diverse talent. So it's an opportunity for people, right, the, the people that we serve in our communities to try and come find jobs that they closely align to, apply to them with the understanding that these organizations are looking for people that come from where they come from, that have backgrounds that they have, and it, it'll make the path a little easier for them, we hope anyways. Which, so, you know, the job description thing, right, is one that I think gets on a lot of people. It drives me nuts. I mean, I, I did some research a couple of years ago and highlighted some really just, 
you know, just terrible things about job descriptions. And so to your point, when you've got, you know, these underrepresented groups who, you know, like you said, statistically will not apply if they can't check all the boxes. When you got that job description with 45 boxes that need to be checked, you can guarantee you're not going to get the first candidates. So do you, do you guys work with those those employers then who are who are posting to your portal to kind of uh, address their their job descriptions and make them more inclusive? Yeah, so it's interesting, right? And and it's having these dialogues with employers who are putting together job descriptions and wanting to post them. It's interesting to hear things that they don't think about. Now, to give them some credit. A lot of talent management, talent, you know, whatever you want to call them, it's part of HR trying to get people are going based off of rules that they have holistically across the board. Right. And so if, if there's a certain salary, it must have certain requirements. Right. Now, we know in our field that our salaries tend to be a little higher than those of other like technical fields. Right. So I understand how HR has gone down the path of saying, OK, we've got salary bands and for these salary bands, they must have these requirements. But what I do is when I'm talking to HR, I'm talking to recruiters, I'm telling them you need to start thinking of cybersecurity as a unicorn. We've got a unique skill set and, and way of thinking that we bring to the table. And so we try and help them understand that you can't ask for an entry, say that you want an entry level analyst or engineer and requires the SSP. Those two things do not go together, right? You can't, you, you have to, when you put that a four-year degree is required, you have to realize that you are potentially completely Xing out a large demographic of people who may potentially want to apply for that role because you're saying a four-year degree is required, right? Because if you, if you think about and look at the statistics of those who go to college versus those who don't, the ones who don't go to college is largely the underrepresented communities. And right. so if you want to hire diversely and that's your intention, but you're putting in a four year degree is required or highly encouraged, those people who don't have it are not going to apply because they see that as a barrier to them getting it. And they're saying, well, listen, if one person, a person applies with a degree, then they're automatically going to pick that person over me. And so, it's those little nuances that we try and work with them with to make sure that the the job description, the title, and the expectations and requirements all really align to be inclusive. Because you can't just put, you'll be surprised how many employers literally think that just by putting diverse candidates, uh, um, it's like a statement like diverse candidates highly encouraged. You, well, that'll get them in. Yeah, that'll yeah. work. <laughs> you really thought that just putting that statement in the job description was just going to automatically make all diverse candidates go, oh, absolutely. Yeah, let me get, no, that, that doesn't do it. Well, but they put that, that picture of all their, their diverse people at the top of the page too, right? And they talk about how important it is. That that must solve the issue. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not moving the needle. And, and it's we look at the industry. We see it's not moving the needle. Where, where the needle is being moved is organizations that are being intentional. Organizations yes. that are leaning forward, organizations that have recognized they need to do something different. I can't tell you how many times I'm, I'm quoting the definition of insanity because I ask an organization, so what have you done to change the way you hire? And they're like, oh, well, we put this statement on there, 
right? And then, you know, we, we try and partner with one, they'll, they'll try and find one HBCU or one, and I'm like, okay, great, you're trying something, but if you're trying to partner with one entity and you put this one statement, but you've still got all these other things on there, you're not really gonna move the needle. And I asked, so what have your results been? Well, because they always have a timeline and they're like, you know, the, the position's important, we can't wait forever, and they end up hiring someone traditional. And it's it's wild. Like the college the college degree one is one that always gets me because I don't even understand why employers list it anymore. And here's my reasoning on that. And I've, I've had this conversation with a couple people and it, it seems to be the thing that resonates is, look, you say, you know, four-year degree or X number of years of experience, right? That's how everybody lists it. And I'll, the first thing I'll ask them is, is that really what you mean? Because if someone comes to you with four-year degree and zero years of experience, are you going to hire them for that role? No, you're going to see you no. still want that experience. So why even put the degree in there? Don't even talk about it. If they've got a degree and you want to use that as like, okay, that's great. You know, that that's an extra plus for you. Sure. Let them sell that to you and, and share that. But yeah, I, and there's just so many of those little things that people do. So to your point about being intentional, it's, you know, you have to make that job description more inviting. So are there other things that you run into then as well that kind of stand out to you? Certifications. And listen, I love all my certification bodies. I love them. I'm friends with, you know, CEOs and many of the board members of all of these organizations. However, we have allowed the industry to make them a precursor, right? Certification's original purpose was to demonstrate aptitude, period, point blank. Demonstrate aptitude. What they became and have become is a barrier, right? Because are there any of these certifications that are free? No, right? So let's think about that. So if I need to have a certification before I can get the job because it says this certification is required, but I'm underemployed or unemployed trying to get into the field, how do those things come together, right? Because I can't afford it but I, because I don't have enough money to get it. But if I don't get it, I can't get in. So, right, it's just another hurdle that we as an industry have enabled. And right. so that's why we as Cyversity, we do a lot of scholarship opportunities, right? We work with a number of different partners. I can't even name all of them to create scholarship opportunities to try and help people get past that barrier, right? But but I will say some of the certifying bodies have now also recognized that and started participating in a lot of our scholarship opportunities to give away scholarships and give free training and free testing certificates and so forth to enable people to get in, right? Because that's it, right? If, if you've got a passion and you find it, Getting in is the hardest part. After that, then it's on you to really utilize the resources in front of you. But that getting in piece is always a hard piece. And that's why for us, one of our one of our key linchpins to our organization is our mentoring program. We've uh, just relaunched it as of one August, and and it's 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 probably one of the most critical components of anybody in their career in anything. I don't think people really understand the value, the true value of having a mentor. And sometimes it's one-to-one and sometimes it's many-to-one, right? But having someone that you can look at, glean from, learn from, and help guide you along the way, either directly or indirectly around the decisions that you're making is 
super important in our field because there's so many hurdles that exist and there's so many obstacles and little things that aren't openly discussed that having a mentor brings value to, to give someone some guidance and help them understand, you know, just like don't fall for this or make sure you, when you're in these situations, this is how you protect yourself and this is how you should govern yourself. There's just a lot, lot to it. Our industry is very, again, very broad and very, very deep. So uh, the men mentoring is huge and it's becoming a lot more popular across the industry as a whole. Well, you said, it. I mean, it's so helpful just to have that person you can even just bounce something off of. You know, I, I mean, that's, I'll admit the, the people that I mentor, that's kind of the relationship I prefer is, you know, just, hey, you know what, I'm here if you need to call or whatever, we'll keep it real informal. And I think even that can just be so valuable. Right. So, you know, you've been in this industry a long time and you've had some, I, I just, you your experience is like impression, impressive role upon impressive role. And so I'm just kind of curious, what is your own origin story? I mean, did, did you have a mentor that helped bring you in or how did, how did you land in cybersecurity? You know, it's interesting. So my, my story is, is a unique one. Um, in the fact that I had, I never, I had no intention of being in cyber right early on. So, so I got, I'm, I'm a little older, so I'm 50, right? So I graduated college in 94 and I had, I didn't know about security. What happened, what I did know about was I had an internship writing code and I hated it because I was good. <laughs> I got a computer science degree and you know, writing code in class is fun because I write code specific to something I'm building. And so I see that I see the outcome of what I'm doing, writing code as a profession, right? at a big company, not so much. Right. I was part of a 500 million lines of COBOL. Right. And oh. so exactly. That was the exact same thing I said. And you I was, said the magic word. Oh, God. <laughs> that, it was painful. It was extremely painful. I was like, I don't like any part of this. Right. And sitting in front of a monochrome screen for 12 hours a day. And it was just not fun. But then what they said when I was going to quit, they said, well, how about you compile and try to break the modules? I was like, oh, like, oh, I like breaking things like that. That, that works. That fits my mindset. And so that's what got me just thinking down from a security standpoint of just how do I break things? And that starting that path, when I then went into the military, I got my commission coming out of uh, college and I, and I had no intention of going to the military either, right? My grandfather, he's a, he's a Tuskegee Airman, God rest his soul. And he was the one pushing me to go in because he wanted me to be a pilot. And his exact words, and I quote, are Baby Larry. And they call me Baby Larry because my father was Larry Sr. And I'm Larry gotcha. So he says, um, you know what? That technology thing is going to go away. They're always going to need pilots. And I was like, hmm, okay, Grandpa. <laughs> I mean, he was half right. Right? Like, we need pilots now more than ever. Right, but right. which is the very true. Right? right, but the technology hasn't gone away. But that was his perspective, right? Sure. Um, so I went into the military, and it just so happened timing was right, right? So, yeah. but what the, the thing that me going into the military did was coming out of college, I was a little undisciplined. I was a little, you know, uh, a little braggadocious, and, and it, it humbled me. Um, okay. It taught me leadership. And then I was fortunate enough to get probably 
one of the best bosses that you could ever hope to have and, and a, a captain named Amanda Gladney. And she and I are still friends to this day. And she, as a black female officer in the military, helped me understand what that was what being a black officer in a leadership role was and what the expectations were of not just being an officer, but of being a officer of color, right? And so that sort of changed things for me. And that began to have me look at things differently. And so as I transitioned into cyber in the military, and it wasn't even cyber at the time, it was, it was information warfare and information security. But as I transitioned into that field, I began to understand. And and though she didn't wasn't necessarily directly in that field, just the guidance that she continued to give me on leadership was super valuable. And this is why I tell everybody on a regular basis when I talk about mentors, a lot of people think that your mentor has to be in the same field that you're in, right? Mm -hmm. I've got five people that I consider mentors today, right? There's only one of them that is in the field of cybersecurity. I have a lot of friends that I go to and we talk about, a lot of peers across the industry that we mentor each other, but from a pure mentoring standpoint, one actually two of them are in the industry. The other three are outside the industry, right? But I go to them because when you think about mentorship, there's this, there's there's leadership. There's all of these different aspects of things that you need to know as you are growing as a person and as a professional in your career. And so, um, and then what happened was nine uh, eleven. When I was at the, I was I was working at the Pentagon during that time, and by the grace of God, I did not go to my Pentagon office that morning. I went to my office in Arlington and Roslyn, and then everything happened, and that was a whole, a hot, hot, hot mess. And I didn't see my 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 wife and kids at the time for what three days because of everything that was going on, and it was it was it was crazy. And I decided in 2002 to separate. I, I was like, I just I. I'm not a lifer, I'm not gonna do this, and I'm gonna separate. So I went into private sector. And private sector was another was another opportunity of growth. It was, okay, wait, this is very different, um, right? If you don't have, so one thing that we I learned early on that we just don't do as an industry, and it continues to this day, unfortunately, is career path, right? When you're in the military, you've got a lot of structure. Yeah. And and you you coming out of the military, your expectation is okay. These are million and multi million dollar and multi billion dollar companies. Well, of course they're going to have some structure. There's no structure, and we do a horrible job as a career field in career passing to ensure that people have ladders that they can step through as they go on their journey. And like I even had a conversation today with my team, where they were very unfamiliar with tiers, right? I'm like, no, like this is tier one. And so I've got somebody who's transitioning from IT and I'm bringing her into cyber. And so they weren't familiar with tiers and, and having a level one and a level two and a level three and a senior and a, a you know manager, right? But we, we just, as an industry, have not done a great job of that. Not and so going through my career, it's been just a, a lot of opportunities to learn because I did the... I did. I've done the vendor thing. I've done the corporate thing. I, I've watched. I've been in a vendor and watched a very great product, right, go awry because it didn't have the proper leaders in place to really take the company to where it needed to be. I've watched mediocre products rise and 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 do amazing things, right, because they had great leaders in place. I watched great potential teams 
right? And 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 IT organizations because you know a large part of my career I've reported in the IT do extremely well because we had great leadership and then some not. And so um, it, it's been a very, very interesting and broad journey. I've been hired, I've been fired, I've quit. I've been through all the things that you can possibly imagine. And I tell everybody on a regular basis that there is nothing that you will experience on your journey in cybersecurity that you can't get through. Damn. Other than breaking our eternal code, which is have integrity. If you do anything that causes your integrity to be questioned, you can no longer operate in this field. Yeah. Period. Point blank. Right? No, I mean, plenty of examples of that, right? I mean, even contemporary examples happening today. But, you know, it's it's really interesting, you know, the, the, the career mapping thing is one that really bothers me too, right? And it's because you, you look at it and where I've seen it, it's bad enough like you're talking about, like just trying to build those tiers and have people understand, like, here's how you progress through various tiers. But then you get the people who get to like those senior and principal level roles and where do they go from there? Right. Cause here's the thing that I've noticed. And I'm actually curious what you, what you've seen and what your thoughts are on this is, you know, a lot of these people, they get to that role and it's like, well, the next natural thing is, well, I go into a leadership role and, you know, I, I, you know, I get into management and my, my eventual goal is to be a CISO and that's great. And that's admirable. And I mean, that was my goal and here I am. But I think for a lot of people, they don't really understand what those act, what those leadership roles are and aren't. And it's not really what they're interested in. I mean, if you're someone who really just wants to be in the weeds all day, you know, working in, you know, Amazon AWS stuff, or you, you want to be, you know, digging around in, in logs and, and doing that kind of thing. A lot of people really love doing that. Right. And if you want it or you want to continue pen testing, whatever, then yeah, you probably don't really want to get, you, you know, into much of a, a higher level leadership role because you, you, you don't get to do that. You move away from it. And, and I've seen so many weak leaders happen from that because they jump into it and they realize, oh, this isn't what I thought it was and I don't want to do this. Yeah, so it's interesting you, you say that because I actually have a presentation that I've given dozens of times over the years that says, so you want to be a CISO. Are you sure? <laughs> right? Because people think, right? So that's sort of the top of our food chain, right? CISO, CSO, right? Sort of the top of the food chain in our industry, right? And people think it's this glamorous thing. And I actually have a picture of like a coal miner and a person in a suit. And I say the person in the suit, right, that looks like they're a GQ model is who everybody thinks the CISO is. And the reality is the CISO is this coal miner with the pipe sticking out. It's all dusty and crusty because the things that we have to do, right, between looking at our calendar and the meetings on top of meetings on top of meetings that are sometimes double booked, if not triple booked, that you have to go through and never getting a chance to read email from 8 a.m. until 5 p.m., then you still have to go through email and somebody's hitting you up. Did you see the email I sent you? Like it is insane. And so I try and give context to what this means, right? And say, yes, you can't get into the weeds. You're not going to be hands-on. You're not going to be diving into logs. You're not going to be at the command line. Like <laughs> it was interesting. So I, 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 my, I took a role at a smaller organization once and you know, the, the team was like, okay, Hey, you know, we're going to create your admin accounts. I'm like, Oh, no, 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 I don't, I don't, I don't 
Mm-mm. I don't want domain <laughs> admin. I don't want ad. Like I barely want admin to my local box, right? Don't give me access to anything. I'm not getting in command line. I'm not doing any of that stuff, right? And so because a lot of people just feel like that's that's what's happening. They're like, oh no, when you step to that next level, you've got to start letting go of some of those things, and it's hard for some people. It's very very hard. So Kevin Jackson is with us. That's awesome. He was actually our last guest. Um, so this is kind of cool that Kevin's popped in. And um, first of all, very complimentary of you, but wants to understand how how can he go about as a, a, a black founder of a cyber startup, how can he go about getting more involved with Subversity? Yeah, so getting more involved with Subversity. So it, there's a number of ways, right? So at the community level, depending on where you're at, we may have a chapter, right? So if we've got a chapter, right? Our chapters, we've got chapters in New York, Atlanta. We just started one in DC, Columbus, Ohio. We're, um, we're uh, looking at rebuilding our one in Chicago. We've got one in uh, Nashville, um, Texas, the Bay Area, and Twin Cities. And we're looking at building more. So if you've got a chapter in your area, get involved with the chapter, right? And the chapter is working on building communities and, and, and building out there because we recognize in these communities, we need to make sure that we are engaging with each other and helping each other where we're at. Now, if you don't have a chapter, or even if you do have a chapter in your area, you wanna get involved at the national level, there are tons of volunteer opportunities at the national level to help with different initiatives we've got going on. Become a mentor, right? Become a mentee. Right, like all, all of these things, right? Participate in our webinars, right? As a as a founder, right? specifically as a, a a founder of color of a of a cyber startup, your journey to get there, sharing that with people in in uh, cybersity and abroad is going to give them a lot of insight because you are what we would call a unicorn. There's not many of you that exist, and so um that that's a definitely a way just sharing your story similar to what you're doing here in one of the cybersity webinars that we do um to to give people hope give people insight and help them understand the journey that you've gone on to get to where you're at so i know that was kind of like an abrupt shift but there was a reason for it because we were talking leadership and what you just touched on is something that i think is crucial right i mean for those of us, as we get into leadership, we do have that opportunity to shape how the industry is moving and how we're introducing diversity and everything else. It's within our control. And then, like you said, you, you touched on that whole idea of visibility. It, you know, and I think, yeah, if you are a member of a one or multiple underrepresented demographics in especially that, that executive space, that's I mean, that, just that visibility alone is such a huge tool. Now, on the flip side, if you are a, you know, the stereotypical white cis hetero male, okay, we understand the, the, the dominant demographic there disproportionately, you too have an opportunity here to really shape how things move forward through your own example. Are yeah. you doing the right things And see, these are the leadership conversations that I think have to happen and where we have to understand that you you move into, say, that director role or that vice president role or you get that CISO role. You are in a position to really shape 
how your organization looks at hiring cybersecurity people, how you handle career pathing. And so when you are, you know, at that non-leadership level and you're looking to get into that, those are the things that I would, I would like to see more people's goals be about. Like yeah. I want to get there so I can do this or that. Yeah. So I'll tell you, so, so I'll give a, a couple of things there. So number one, if you think about any aspect of any challenge that, that any nation uh, um, underrepresented group, community, whatever has faced women's rights, the, the right, any, anything you can think of. There's never been a change that's happened when it's only the impacted party or impacted group that's standing up, right? So that alone tells you that allyship and those outside the impacted community have to stand up and lean forward, right? And so with that, it's important that every C-level executive, every director, every person who goes into a leadership role in their organization, regardless of what demographic community they belong to, they have a responsibility that if they think this is a problem, to go and work with HR. The first relationship I create in every company that I join is HR because they are going to make or break my program based on my ability to hire. Period, point blank. Yes, the business leaders are important because I need their buy-in on my program. Absolutely. But if I get their buy-in and I can't hire the team to support it, nothing matters. So going for every single person that gets into a leadership role in cybersecurity, you've got a responsibility to go and begin working with your HR team to level set, right? Help them understand that, that we are unicorns. Help them understand that you can't salary band us like you do everything else. You have, it's imperative that that happens, right? That, and, and for me, I started, as I've gotten on stage over the last three years, I started talking about this one fact because that's an aspect of individual accountability that everybody can take. Because everybody's always like, well, what can I do? Oh, how do we make this change? Here's something that you as an individual can do in your organization that you work for today, tomorrow, or next week, right? It's, it's an easy step forward. You hit one of my pet peeves. The number of times I see and talk with cybersecurity people who just throw up their hands and say, oh, HR, oh, the recruiters, oh, it's all them. They, they won't change job descriptions, blah, blah, blah. I understand it. It's not always easy, right? Easy. Here's a great example from the federal space. If Jen Easterly can go into DHS, go into CISA and say, we need to hire with higher salary bands because we need top talent in CISA and make that happen, Think about what it takes to do that in the federal right. government. Like yeah. we're talking congressional changes here, right? right? If you can do that there, you can do this with your HR team. It might take time. You might have to go beyond just talking to HR. You may have to work with your own executive leadership, your own senior leadership. But every one of us has the ability to start to influence that and shape that. We just have to be good about making the case for why it's necessary. Would you agree? Right. Yeah, oh no, listen, moving anything in the government is turning a tanker in a river, right? Like it is, it takes a lot, right? But but it's a great example. But the, the next piece is this, is it's also just simply leaning in, right? I've got, a, I, I, I use this guy's name a lot, Joey Johnson, good friend of mine. Joey Johnson has a white cis 
female in this industry leans in regularly. He's, he, he talks to his own team, right? right? He, he pushes the envelope to ensure that not only he, but his entire team is working positively towards something and some sort of change. Because one of the areas that we as an industry also fail at is the entire aspect of retainment, right? Mm-hmm. So, so we've had this whole get people in the door, right? Oh, we, you know, hey, I'm, I've hired four, right? Well, those four that you hired four years ago, are they still all at the entry level? Then are you really doing, right? Are you really doing them a service? Right. Because if and, and if you look statistically right now, women of color are the fastest uh, uh, entity leaving the field of cybersecurity because they don't feel engaged. They don't feel like they're part of the solution. So retention across our industry is bad. Right. And we don't have good mechanisms to ensure that once we get diverse talent in, that we're engaging them at a level. And honestly, it's part of it is. We just don't do a lot of engagement, period, if you really think about it, to ensure that the lowest level person in our team, the lowest level SOC analyst, governance analyst, whoever, understand how what they do every day ties directly all the way back up into the corporate strategy, from the into the cyber strategy, into corporate strategy. We don't do a good job communicating that, right? So if they don't feel that, they don't understand that, they don't feel they have a voice in that, they're not going to stay. And so, yes, organizations may be trying to get them in the door and may be hiring more diverse talent at the entry level than they have before. But if those same entry level, right, four to five years later are still in entry level roles and you haven't done anything at your middle middle level, management level or executive level, then you may not be hitting the mark. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I think that's too now where a lot of the conversation in DEI, that, that almost buzzword now, has changed. And, and belonging is the new, you know, the new thing that everybody seems to be talking about, at least on the leading edge of these efforts. And I mean, I, I don't want to get into the pedantic discussions of what words we use to describe it. But I think the heart behind the idea of this concept of belonging is something that's truly important because it speaks to what you said. People need to feel like they're in a space that they belong in, that, you know, I, I belong here just as much as, you know, that person over there, or that person over there. And that includes my ability to have that visibility up, my ability to know where I'm headed next and to be able to get there. So the getting there is so hard. I like to use this analogy because it it resonates with people. So I've got five children, right? So anybody who's got multiple children, right? um, Every child needs to feel heard. Mm -hmm. Every child. If you have multiple children and you ever choose purposely to not let one child feel heard, the emotional impact and, and everybody who hears this, like begins to imagine what that is, whether they are one of multiple children themselves or whether they have multiple children. If you as a child were not heard, right, and you're seeing all of your other peers being heard, if you're in a classroom and there's one child who who, who constantly is raising their hand but is never being called on and never made to feel like they have a voice in what's happening but everybody else is, 
how would that make you feel? Yeah. Right. And, 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 and the seeming feeling that I get even saying it, right, should demonstrate what people in their careers who they are, they're doing this to feed their families. They're doing this to try and make right, uh, 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 to, to build wealth in some instances, right? They're doing this because this is something they love to then not feel heard. And then they feel their only choice is to leave it. Can you imagine? Yeah. Well, and if you don't mind, I'm going to take that analogy one step further because I think there's also something to be leveraged here, even considering unconscious bias and systemic discrimination, right? Those things where maybe it's not intentional at all, maybe it's not even conscious, but you know, how horrified would you feel as a parent, for those of you out there that have children like I do, like Larry does, how horrified would you feel to know that things that you've been doing you know, choices you've been making that maybe you didn't even realize, but showed that type of preferential treatment or made that kid feel that way. How horrified would you feel about that? It's the same thing if you're a manager, if you're a leader with a team and, you know, maybe it's not anything that you realize or you consciously are trying to do, but it's something that just happens because of how maybe it can be something as simple as, hey, I, I really, you know, I identify with this other white woman on my team. And so I can, you know, I'm really comfortable talking to her. But when I when I talk to this, you know, person of color or whatever over here, I, you know, I, I don't really, I don't feel as comfortable because their background is different. And I don't identify with as much of their experience. It can be something that simple that creates that bias and creates that same thing. And that's why. So I love that analogy because you can take it to that level. I can't imagine many parents who wouldn't be horrified if they knew they were doing that to their kids. So have that same self-awareness then when it comes to the people that you're leading. Right. Right. I like to use the other analogy of right-handed versus left-handed, right? The majority of the world is right-handed, right? And so if you think of walking into a classroom of those desks where you walk in and you slide in, they're not necessarily built for left-handed people. And one of my five kids is left-handed. And so as he grew up watching him and what he struggled with and how he needed to sit and how he needed to turn to, it, it just gives you an idea of like, wait, what? Because you, it's something that you just don't think about in that aspect of unconscious, right? When it comes to right and left hand, as a world, as a society, we are completely unconscious about that. We just automatically have built the world around the assumption that everybody is right-handed. And then when there is someone who is left-handed who comes into the room, who comes to sit down at the dinner table, right, and has to eat, they're resetting their plates. They're doing all of these different things because they just operate differently. And if you apply that mindset, to what our teams look like and how a person who is a little different, right, would feel because you're talking about things that they can't relate to. You're talking about things and you now creating this other aspect of a bond that they just felt left out from. And so it's just taking those small instances and being able to recognize and find ways to connect. Yes, you can't relate to being left-handed, but is there something else that you can relate to with them to build that same type of connection and make them feel connected to everything that's going on similar to everyone else? 
Love it. Love it. I cannot believe it, though. I just looked at the time. I lost track totally. We're, we're way past where I would normally say this. But, yeah, we got to wrap it up, unfortunately. Um, this has been a wonderful discussion, Larry. I swear to God, I, I knew it was going to be good because – I, you know, I've seen everything you're doing and I love it, but this, this was terrific. Um, I hope that you all out there enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, incredible. Um, so last thing, uh, if you want to know more about Cyversity, what's the best way website or. Yep. The website, we've got all the information out there. Uh, www.cyversity.org. Awesome. Well, cool. Well, Larry, thank you once more for, for being on and, and for sharing just some really incredible perspectives that, uh, I mean, I love the work that you guys are doing. I think it's super important. Um, I could talk to you for another hour. We could dig into <laughs> leadership a lot more, but we're out of time for today. So we'll save that uh, for another episode. Yes, I, I am totally up for that. All right. Well, hey, Securing Bridges fans, thank you so much for tuning in yet again. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed. I had a great time. We'll be back here next week. We have plenty more wonderful guests coming up. As a reminder, of course, this episode will be converted to podcast. Um, if you're listening to this on the recording and you tried to tune in today via Facebook, I apologize. We had some technical issues. I don't know why we weren't able to, uh, to send this out via Facebook today. But, you know... You've got the recordings. Be sure to check them out, and we'll be back here again next week. Larry, thank you so much one more time. Thank all of you for tuning in, and uh, we'll be back here next week again on Securing Bridges. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Securing Bridges podcast with Alyssa Miller. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSBmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.